We all long uh, to be known and to know, don't we? That's why good friendships are so life-giving and broken friendships can be so painful. As intimacy deepens, so does knowledge of each other. Not just facts, but what a friend is like, what they might be thinking and feeling. We long to know others and to be known. Well, in our verses tonight, Jesus offers us the chance to know God. Have a look at verse 3 with me again. It's on page uh, 1085. If you've closed it, do uh, find it again. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Human friendship is great, isn't it? And I hope that we're fostering good friendships here um, at All Souls at the 5.30. Um, I know we have uh, further to go, but please do get behind our efforts uh, to encourage people to stick around uh, after the service and chat to each other, uh, whether that's uh, in the pub uh, tonight or at the board games uh, night next week. Human friendship is great. But here... We have not just knowing another person, but knowing God, the source of all life, in a deep, intimate, personal way. If you long to be known and to know, then keep listening to see just how great an offer this really is. We're joining uh, John's Gospel uh, as Jesus prays on the night before he goes to the cross Conscious, no doubt, that the disciples, they were listening in as he prayed and taking in every word as they were trying to make sense of all that he just said uh, to them in the upper room about how he was going away, but that he would come back and how he wouldn't leave them on their own. They're probably in a real state of confusion. We're going to spend the rest of our time together uh, just going through uh, these first five verses of Jesus' prayer as he prays uh, for himself. And we're going to see the wonder and the thrill that we can know the God of glory. And then next week, uh, God willing, uh, we'll look at his prayer for his first disciples in verses uh, 6 to 19. And then the week after that, it's his prayer for all believers, uh, for us, if we're trusting in him, in verses 20 uh, to 26. Uh, Tonight, as we uh, move through these verses, uh, we're going to see this. Jesus finishes his job to reveal God's greatness so that we can know God. That's where we're going. Uh, Here's the first bit of our big point. Jesus finishes his job. As jobs go, it's pretty big, isn't it, if you look at it? Have a look at verse uh, 2. Jesus is praying. He says, for you granted him, he's talking about himself, granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a job uh, that seems quite difficult, uh, but where you just haven't got the authority to carry it out. No one will listen to you. They won't do uh, what you say. It's frustrating. Things only happen when the boss uh, steps in. Well, not so with Jesus, is it? His job is to give 
eternal life. And God the Father, verse 2, gives him the authority to do it. More than that, at the end of verse 3, it's what God has sent Jesus to do. Now, that's something that Jesus says repeatedly uh, through John's gospel. He's come. He was sent. He was given to give life. It's there in the uh, most famous verse in uh, the gospel, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it goes on in the next verse, in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's there in 5, verse 24. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. It's there in chapter 6, verse uh, 57. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. It's there in 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or 10:28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now, I could go on and on. Uh, This is the job that Jesus has come to do. And according to verse 4, it's a job that Jesus has finished. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. But how? It's a pretty weird thing to say, isn't it, at this point? Uh, It goes along with the last sentence just at the top of the page. The last thing he says before he starts praying. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How has Jesus overcome the world? And how can he say here that he's finished God's work? It's because, verse 4, he's brought glory to God the Father on earth. But what does that actually mean? Well, we'll answer that in our second part of our point. Jesus finishes his job to reveal God's greatness. Now, glory is a pretty big uh, theme in John's gospel. Uh, Don Carson, the commentator, uh, says, glory is the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. Now, that's helpful because uh, it's about showing to others what God is is like and who he is. But it's a bit of a mouthful, uh, so I'm not going to use that every time I talk about glory. I'm going to say that uh, that glory is God's greatness revealed. Uh, It's a bit like all the fancy buildings that you might have walked past uh, on your way in here uh, in London. Each one cries out, the person who built this is great. That's why their building is so impressive. That's why they took so long to do it. The difference, of course, between the buildings and God's glory is that God's greatness is really great, isn't it? Now, sadly, we don't have time to chase down all uh, the references uh, to glory in John's gospel. We would be here uh, all evening if we did that. Uh, We'll just think about one uh, from uh, the famous beginning of John's gospel. Uh, Speaking about Jesus' coming, 
uh, John says this, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals God's glory, his greatness, that he is full of grace and truth. John says in uh, those verses we just saw that just by seeing Jesus, he and the other witnesses, the other eyewitnesses, have seen God's greatness. Verse 5 of our passage, the Son had this glory before the creation of the world. Think about that for a moment. It's a glory that he has and he deserves by right. But there's more to Jesus's glory in our passage. Jesus says, verse 1, the hour has come. And then he prays, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Now, I don't know what you're uh, like uh, waiting for exams. Um, Some of you may have had uh, mocks or mid-year exams uh, recently. Uh, It's interesting to watch uh, what people are like um, before they go in. Uh, There are those who are completely unbothered and they just kind of sit there uh, happily waiting. Uh, There are those who are frantic. I think I was more like this, I have to admit, uh, trying to read the whole textbook again in the five minutes uh, before going in or smashing through some flashcards or whatever it was. Uh, There are those who sort of pace up and down nervously, aren't there? Uh, Jesus has been waiting for this moment, uh, not just for hours or days or months or even years, This is a date that was set uh, before uh, the world began. The the state of tension has been building up uh, through John's gospel as Jesus or the author have repeatedly said his hour has not yet come. Uh, The references are going to be up on the screen just uh, for a moment. Uh, But now, verse 1, the hour has come. It is time for Jesus to be glorified. Uh, he said it back in uh, 12.23, and now he prays that it might happen. It is time for God's greatness to be revealed. And that greatness is revealed supremely when the hour for Jesus to suffer and die has come. And then, of course, to rise again and ascend to his Father's right hand in glory. Jesus is talking about the cross when he talks about his hour. As he makes clear back in chapter 12, the hour has come. Do you find it a surprise that the way that Jesus thinks that he is going to reveal God's glory to its fullest extent is by dying on a cross? I think that is a surprise to us, isn't it? But is what Jesus consistently says uh, through the gospel here. Here, Jesus prays that his father would carry out their plan to bring them both glory, verse 1, a task that they share with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is committing himself to the work of the cross, the work that he has been sent to do for the people who have been given to him. This is him saying, initiate the launch uh, sequence. We're ready for liftoff. All has been prepared. He has said everything that he needs to say to his disciples. The hour has come, 
and the Son is ready. And in many ways, we just have to sort of sit back and marvel at the kindness of our loving God. That before, that from before all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had planned for this very hour, this very moment, this point of time, for it to be their crowning moment. As we said, it's not a sort of a new glory for them, uh, verse 5, but it's the biggest unveiling of God's greatness. This is the hour. Jesus prays for it to happen. And of course, a few hours later, it does, as he is crowned with glory. He cries out on the cross, it is finished. It's the same word as we have in verse 4. As we said in our first point, Jesus finishes his job by dying on the cross and being raised to new life. He reveals God's greatness. Nothing we can do can change that. It's a fact. Jesus' prayer ensures it because he always prays in line with his Father's will. And so we sit back and we marvel. Uh, Carson again says that glorifying God is when he is clothed in splendor in the eyes of those who perceive what has been achieved by God himself in the cross, resurrection, and exaltation of his son. Let's make sure that we are those who have those eyes fixed on our glorious Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us. And then we will see his robes of splendor. But there is more. Perhaps uh, the most surprising thing in a passage full of surprises is that we don't just kind of observe uh, this God of glory from afar off, like a beautiful painting. Uh, rather, we can know this God of glory. Uh, we've seen that Jesus uh, finishes his job to reveal God's greatness. His job, verse 2, remember, is to give eternal life to all those whom the Father has given to him. But now verse 3, we sort of have an explanation of what eternal life is. Now we might have all sorts of ideas of what eternal life is. Um, we did that sort of fill in the blank in the meet and greet if you got round to that. Um, for, for some of us, uh, the answer might be that it's, eternal life is a load of rubbish. It's pie in the sky when you die. It's made up. Um, you just don't believe uh, that there's anything after death. Uh, life is what you see and do and feel, and then you die, and that's it. Uh, that's one thing you can fill in the blank, but it's not what Jesus says. Um, other uh, religions uh, fill in the blank themselves, don't they? For example, Islam has uh, Jannah, paradise. Uh, in Hinduism or Buddhism, you sort of have the concepts of uh, moksha or nirvana, sort of freedom from the ever-circling rounds of existence. Eternal life is dot, 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 fill in the blank. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, uh, then we don't subscribe to those views, do we? Uh, so what goes in the blank uh, for us? 
Uh, Well, maybe it's living with God or living with Jesus uh, forever. Uh, That's what the words mean after all, isn't it? Uh, Life uh, which flows from God forever, eternally, eternal life. Uh, We think of heaven and we know we will be with uh, Jesus. And we sort of try to imagine uh, what it's like. Uh, We may have visions of gardens or cities, of crowds or of wide open space. Uh, We may know that the promise is for a physical uh, new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, and that we will rule them under God's King Jesus, a place of rest and fulfilling work and enjoyment and worship. Eternal life is dot, dot, dot. How does Jesus fill that in? Well, verse three tells us. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God. It's not that all that stuff that I said about uh, the new creation is wrong. Wonderfully, uh, it is true. But Jesus says here that eternal life is simple. It is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent knowing the God of all glory. And it starts now, or at least at the moment, it starts at the moment that you uh, believe that God sent his son to reveal his greatness so that we can know God. That's a third point, so that we can know God. Eternal life is to know God, the creator and the sustainer of all the uncreated one who exists in boundless, loving union of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The one who knows every hair on your head and every page in your book. The God whom Jesus, in this uh, prayer alone in John 17, sort of putting aside the rest of the Bible, the God that he presents as awesome and powerful, and loving, and above all, glorious. Eternal life is to know him. I started by saying we all want uh, to be known and to know. And this, this is the greatest opportunity for that to be true for us. Verse 3 is pretty specific, isn't it, when you look at it again. When Jesus says, the only true God... That's meant to make us sort of think back to the Old Testament, uh, where the greatest privilege of the nation of Israel was to know God and to be known as his, by his name. We'll pick that up uh, next week in verses 6 to 19. But Jesus adds a bit that would have blown the disciples' minds if they hadn't been listening to all that he'd said during his time with them. If they'd ignored all the signs in uh, the Gospels, Jesus says that eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ. It hinges on knowing him, which makes sense, doesn't it, if we remember that Jesus finishes his job to reveal God's greatness by going to the cross. The whole tone of the passage should make us realise that Jesus is not, knowing about, is not talking about sort of knowing facts about him or about uh, his father, 
Rather, knowing in verse 3 is a relational word. It's about friendship and intimacy. Uh, The promise of the new covenant back in Jeremiah 31 is that God's people will know him directly, not just through intermediaries. Knowing God is a, it's a state of being rather than a state of thinking. You can't pass an exam in knowing God, although, of course, we can grow to know him better. Did you notice that at verse 3 is not just about something we will do in eternal life? It is eternal life itself, an intimate connection with the source of life, the living one the truly glorious one. And so the obvious uh, question, at least to me, is, do you know the only true God and Jesus Christ? If you don't, or you have questions, then please do come along to Christianity Explored. Uh, It starts tomorrow evening in here at at 7 o'clock. That's a chance uh, to ask those questions about knowing the only true God. Uh, Please just talk to someone after the service uh, if you'd like uh, to come along and we'd uh, happily tell you more about it. But for those of us who do know uh, this God uh, through Jesus Christ, his son, what difference is it going to make to us? Well, as we've said, we marvel at the privilege of knowing the God of all glory. But there is more. We can pray that the Father and the Son are are indeed glorified along with the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure that that's something that I pray often enough. But if it is good enough for Jesus to pray, then it's good enough for us too, isn't it? And as we do that, we're not praying for Jesus uh, to go uh, to the cross again, but that he is glorified as he continues his job of bringing eternal life to all whom are his. We pray that people come to know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Do join us on uh, Tuesday evening in here uh, at the prayer gathering, and we'll do that. We'll pray for people uh, in London and around the world to know God for the first time or to know him better. It is really thrilling, Carfoon sort of said it as well, it's really thrilling to be here and uh, to pray together to do that, to join in with Jesus's prayer of John 17. And then we can be an answer to our own prayers as well by introducing uh, people to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had that um, awkward moment uh, when you're talking to a friend Uh, And someone else that you know sort of comes up, and it's obvious that you're meant to kind of do the introduction, uh, but you have forgotten one of their names. It is, uh, it's really awkward. Uh, Well, uh, we never need to be like that with Jesus, do we? Uh, We can tell other people about Jesus, and we can just speak naturally about him, because as Christians, we know him. That's who we are. Uh, And then we can... um, we can ask a, a, um, a friend uh, if we're trying to introduce him to Je- them to Jesus. Or maybe do you want to come and sort of see if you want to get to know him? He's a person that you can get to know. Uh, at Roots on uh, Wednesday, we had some training on the Word one-to-one uh, material. Uh, 
uh, which introduces people to Jesus in John's Gospel by going episode by episode. It is uh, really accessible um, so that every Christian can be a Bible sharer. They can be someone who introduces people to Jesus so that they can know him too. Uh, Do come and see us at the Connect Corner if you want to find out more about that or to pick up a copy. Uh, Let's get sharing the Lord Jesus so that more people can come to know God too. Jesus finishes his job to reveal God's greatness so that we can know God. That is an incredible privilege. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that the hour came and Jesus went to the cross and he is now risen and seated at your right hand. And we pray that you would continue through him to give eternal life to all those you have given to him. And so would you bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.